Welcome to the Rider Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Are you ready for part three? And Larry Korea. It's game over, man. It's game over. Today's episode, Riding Action, round three of two. Everybody, welcome back to the Rider Dojo. Today is part three of our two-part series on Riding Action. Because two parts was not enough, and the inevitable third sequel was coming. It's like a Bayon trilogy of five books. That's right, Larry. You wouldn't know anything about that, though. No, I've never done... Well, never mind. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so in our previous episodes, we've been talking a lot about different facets of action. But where we left off um, in our previous episode, and what I want to start off with right now, Larry, is the idea of mixing it up. Okay, when it comes to your action sequences in terms of style, tone, volume, I don't know, whatever. Like, so, so lead us off, Larry. What do you mean when you talk about mixing it up? So when I was writing, uh, uh, I, I want to th- I think it was Dead Six. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Dead Six. It was pretty early in my career, and I was writing this with Mike Coopery. And we were kind of looking at the way the, the book was structured, where we had some events happened. We had some setup. Then there was an action scene. There was a gunfight. Then some more stuff happened, and there was a gunfight, and then some more stuff happened, and there was a gunfight, and then some more stuff happened, and then for the finale, there was a gunfight. There was a gunfight. Oh, crazy! Yeah, I know. And so, what happened? Uh, so, in the original, you know, process of us doing this, we looked at that, and he's like, "Okay, this is cool." And and Mike and I can both write a pretty good gunfight, but you know, as one of those things, there wasn't enough variety, and we could make f- you know five awesome gunfight scenes in this. You know, that's actually a very long book. Um, uh, what we started looking at is I was like, let's mix it up. And when I say mix it up, let me give you an example. So the first action scene was uh, it was going to be an assassination, right? Mm-hmm. So what we did is we mixed it up and we turned it into an assassination that then the bad guy turned out he had a lot more helpers on hand. So they had to get away. And it turns into a chase scene uh, through okay. a Middle Eastern city. Sure. Uh, as basically a car chase scene as they're trying to escape from the far more numerous bad guys than there was supposed to be. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, so we have another action sequence, or rather just in a gunfight between good guys and bad guys. In this case, we have the good guys get attacked in their compound. We have uh, an infiltrator has snuck into the good guy's con- compound who's there and he's taking dudes out. But then the the army attacks during this military coup. Uh, everything goes crazy. A helicopter flies in. Guys are rappelling out of the helicopter into the compound. It gets hit with an RPG and flips over and falls and big fireball. Dude, and so it's just mixing stuff up. You see, and you take it different. So we had another one where they had to take out another bad guy. You know, here this is uh, this book is a very thriller, uh, Reacher, Terminal list yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's a scene where they had to take out this one bad guy. So we moved it onto a yacht. So, and so now we had a takedown at sea. So we had a helicopter insertion onto a yacht. They had mm-hmm. to clear the yacht, you know, and they had to, so we had all this cool stuff like how do you fight on a boat above the water and how do you fight on a boat below the water? Mm-hmm. And we brought in um, some technical experts. Mike's a bomb guy. I'm a gun say, guy. That's, that's a very nice way of saying uh, We brought in things. some dudes who... Who have done certain things. Who have. In some places. Killed a lot of interesting people in a lot of interesting places. It was like, it was like a. In real life. It killed. was like one of our instructors at, at, uh, at gun class, as he described, he's like, 
I was with some people doing some things in a place. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, oh, so, oh, okay. Yeah, we all, we, all know, we all understood what he meant. And so that goes back to what we talked about last episode about you know, bringing in experts. Mm-hmm. So basically, Mar- uh, Mike and I brought in a guy named Marcus, good friend of ours. We knew him well and um, long, distinguished career in um, special operations, uh, followed by being a federal agent SWAT team commander. Um, dude's done a lot of stuff in his life. And so we used him as our technical advisor. So, for example, when we're doing the... The ship takedown scene, Mike's a bomb guy. So Mike's solution to everything, Mike in real life is a, a EOD tech. So Mike yeah. is, you know, he's the guy that played high-speed murder chess against the Taliban, right? Okay. And so Mike did that in real life. So Mike's solution to everything is bomb, right? And so he has a scene where we're, they're trying to take uh, a, a engine room on the ship. And so Mike was going to blow a hole. You know, he's going to blow the door with like flexolinear shape charge or something. Mike wrote all the bomb stuff. I don't know. Marcus stops us and goes, no, 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 no. You would, we would never do that. You're going to use what's called a broco torch and you're going to cut a hole right here and you're going to toss through this, <laughs> this particular device. And we did. We put all this stuff in the book. We actually had some stuff we did not put in the book because, you know, we couldn't because we're not, you know, this is not, not you know, general yeah. knowledge kind of thing. So we hand waved some stuff. A device was used. That yeah. kind of thing. And there's also stuff that I, I mean, I, you know, we both were military contractors. Yeah. You learn about stuff that you, you know, you don't actually know. As a writer, you don't put that in the book. You know what? Tra- yeah. What? I don't know. Uh-huh. Steve still got his clearance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we did all this, but, but the point here is we're using an expert and we're mixing it up. And so the final fight scene of this book takes place in a Western ghost town and it almost goes like old West gunfight. Yeah. So we've got in the middle of the desert in Nevada, this like bleak and desolate ghost town. And we have a group of good guys and a group of bad guys having a gunfight, good old fashioned gunfight in the desert. You know, when I was writing residue, I did this on accident. What you're talking about. Yep. Um, you did actually a good job. I, this. I did. I, I'm not going to say it was intentional. I think it was just, it just felt natural. It felt right at the time. So... What's your, I mean, what, what's your cover quote for Residue? The best prom scene since best Carrie? Best prom scene since Carrie. <laughs> so that scene, it goes from a dance, you know, uh, your, your typical horrible high school dance that everyone remembers. And then it goes to crazy action, um, monsters attacking, innocents being killed, the prom queen's head flies across the room, yada, yada. Yeah, that was great. Um, and, and, it's, and it's pistols, it's gunfights. It turns into... Um, to a foot chase outside, um, you know, with, with, with rifle play. Okay. Then it turns into a car chase. Oh, I mean, not a very fast car chase. She's in a Honda Civic, but a car chase nonetheless. And then it goes to a siege type of an, yep. of an event. There's some downtime after the events of this. Um, and then the final action scene of it is, is very much a one-on-one supernatural psychic battle that's completely different flavor from everything else. Um, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad, I'm glad that that went, I mean, it's purely by accident. I'm glad that it, I'm glad that I did it though, because when I look back at that, that sequence of events, it's exactly what you're describing. Yep. You know, you're not, I mean, uh, each character is having a moment to shine um, in a different way and it lends, and then, you know, 
I tackle the scenes from different POV characters. So like we talked about in some of our earlier episodes, yep. it very radically changes the flavor of the story. It does. And so what we're getting at here, guys, and, and Steve, Steve wandered into this uh, just by instinct. Yeah, yeah. And, and on his first book, he got that by instinct. And, and that's good that he did. A lot of people don't. And you'll see this with some writers where all the action sequences kind of, they're formulaic. And what yeah. happens with that is it becomes boring. The cool thing is you guys are writing. You're not making a, you're not making a movie. You don't have a budget. You can do whatever you want. If you want them to have all of a sudden get in a fist fight on the space shuttle, you can. I mean, if it's a way that makes sense. You are not limited by anything other than your imagination and your reader's tolerance for your nonsense. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what, what we're getting at here, guys, is think about your action scenes, broaden your horizons. It doesn't have to be a gunfight. It could be a foot chase. It could be a hand-to-hand combat scene. Um, it could be a car chase. It could be they fall in the river and they're drowning as the river rushes along. They could be crossing the bridge and, uh-oh, there's death cultists on both sides of the rope bridge. <laughs> I mean, think of... There's well, alligators below. Or, you know, cocaine hippos. Um, <laughs> oh, man, that was a great one. Inside joke. Uh, that was a great session <clears throat> of uh, Delta Green. Yeah. So um, I'm thinking of 13 Assassins. Wonderful movie. Okay, you and one I both... favorite. You and I both love that movie. Yeah. There are... There's, like, murder cyclone samurai scene at the end where it's, like you know, kill anyone that gets by me. Yeah, kill anyone that gets past me. You yeah. know? And then there's like the, there's the more traditional like samurai showdown, you know, two people. Yep. Right? Did you did you play Ghost of Tsushima? I did, yeah. So. Fantastic game. You know, there there's there's the stealth element in there. There's the walk right up to the gate and challenge him. Come fight me. You know, whatever. Yep. Um, But the one, but at the end, it comes down to this just this beautiful one-on-one fight yep that was a fantastic game it's actually it's one of my favorite games of the last probably five years yep now and that brings up a uh it's just another great example it's mixing it up yeah it's twisting it last episode we talked about top gun maverick and how we both loved it so good and you think about even though every action scene on this movie is airplanes doing airplane stuff right it's really super cool aviation stuff there was enough variety in the aviation scenes that at no point in time is anybody in the world going to watch that movie and go, I'm bored of every, I'm bored of flying airplanes now. No, no, no. Every, I mean, even my daughter. So we, we took, my whole family went. Yeah. My daughter, she's 10. At the end of it, she's like, wow, jets are really cool. And it's like, <laughs> if, if, if my 10-year-old can walk out of a theater thinking that, then they pace the action just right. Yeah. See, so even then, so even though every action scene was the same, there was enough variety in each action scene that each one still had that stake and payoff and uniqueness. If you repetitive and you do the same thing over and over again, it becomes dangerous. That was actually a challenge uh, we had. Yeah. With Servants of War. Absolutely. We were writing trench, war- trench Warfare. If you think about Trench Warfare... That is like the all-time champion of doing the same horrible thing. It's, it's a churn. Over and over again. Yeah, it's a churn. That's exactly what it is. And so how, how, did, how did we overcome that, Steve? Like, like, oh, I mean, we, we introduced different, different external elements within it. Yep. You know, I mean, the, the very first scene uh, of, of actual honest-to-goodness trench warfare, uh, I'll keep it somewhat uh, bland here so that you guys 
who are poor, unfortunate souls who haven't read the book yet. Um, shame on you. Yeah, what the heck? Come on, guys. Um, so it's the, that initial scene is, is introducing the main character and therefore the readers to their first experience to the chaoticness of, of trench warfare. Okay. Next scene. It's raining. Yep. That changes we, we, everything. We change, we, we adjust the weather and we introduce, that's the first time we also introduce a supernatural element. Next scene, external advances in weaponry. Yep. That radically change everything. And it's so much more violent, but it's violent in a very different way. Like that's truly where horror is, is the name of the game in that book. Like those scenes are straight up horror. Yep. And then we take the same elements, all the same people, I mean, literally the same characters. And we're like, yeah, sorry. All that cool stuff you learn in the trenches, you're in hell now. Have fun. Yeah. Go march across hell. And then they assault a prison. And I mean, there's so many different ways. I mean, look again, trench warfare is a churn. That's the, that, I mean, that's like the, the trope of it, but for us, man, imagine if we'd have just done every scene the same. It would have been um, boring. Well, okay. So, so Brandon Sanderson's first Stormlight Archive book. Okay. Mm -hmm. The whole middle chunk, like the middle 80% of the book is, is the bridge cruise, right? Doing this thing. Now, when I read that book originally, it was like 80,000 words longer. Ooh. Um, back in, in ye olden draft days. Um, but it was 80,000 of that. And my comment to Brandon at the time, uh, and I was certainly wasn't the only person making this comment, which is why he cut about 70 or 80,000 out of the middle of the book. I like that he cuts what's basically a, a whole novel. I know he cut my, genres. he cut my YA novel out of it. Um, <laughs> but he cut a lot of the stuff because it was so repetitive. They were doing the same thing these action scenes weren't actually doing anything for character or plot or anything, but mainly dude, they were getting boring. Yeah. And, and, and in a war novel, it's very tempting to put people through the exact same things because you, you've written that scene, you're used to that scene. You can do it again, yep. but dude, that's boring. Yeah. You got it. You got to change something. Yeah. You got to mix that up. Or even if you even if you can't change the the scenario, change the character. Change it could even be the same character, but have that character be now different, and that he's now more experienced, he's now more jaded, he's more whatever. You you've got to change something to keep that fresh and keep that focus. I mean, or even just just change the POV, like, you know, um, what what during one of the big big scenes in Servants of War where um, the horrible, horrible horror scene, uh, trench warfare scene, that scene is told from three different point of view characters. Yep. Actually, um, yeah. And, that... and, and, and when, it, when it shifts, it's radically different. Well, because we have one guy who's up right in the midst. He, oh, yeah. He's, he's in the thick of it. He's in the thick of it. We have another person who's a sniper, so she's got a little more of a view of the action, but still in danger. And we have a third guy who's like back behind the line watching everything through binoculars from a mm -hmm. command post. Yep. So you can tell a lot bigger story from his perspective, but yep. he's not got the visceral thing. But then we go a little bit long in one section, then we kick over back to the guy who's in the mud and blood and guts and poison gas. Yep. 
You know, it's 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 interesting. If you watch certain movies, they do a really good job of of, of this. Even though, like, for, we talked about John Wick earlier, but John Wick, it's a gunfight and a and jujitsu. It's jujitsu and a gunfight. But how does movie three start? Uh uh running through the street. Oh no, he steals a horse. He steals a horse. He still he steals a horse. Well, actually, I think. In, does he, he do build, the horse he first? He builds a gun out of spare parts. He murders someone with a book. <laughs> yeah, he murders it. I don't even remember. It was like and so much killing and so it, but quickly. In the beginning, there's not a gunshot really for the first, let's call it 20 minutes. Yeah. Because it's mainly stabby, stabby. So you can think about it. So, so even though John Wick is like such a straightforward formula, they change the environment. They change the weapons. They change the bad guys. And at the end, they change the tone of the action scene. Uh, I mean, you and I both love the raid. Oh, I love the raid. Okay. And and Murder McMurder face from the raid is one of the bad guys at the end of John yeah, the Wick two, 3, the right? Two little, the two little Indonesian yeah, guys. Yeah, little Indonesian dudes. Such a great scene. And and then, um, I can never remember that actor's name who plays kind of the- Mark DeCascos. Thank you, Mark DeCascos. I love Mark DeCascos. And it's a, it's, a, it's a full-on action scene and stuff. And there is a lot of, especially at the end, there's that, there's that bit of samurai drama in it because they yeah. tried to pull that in. He has such a sense of humor. But he's, it's the comedy within it. Yeah. Because he's it's, a fanboy. It's, and, it's, and it's paced and, and hits so well for me. But again, it's a tonal thing. I mean, they're not doing anything that much more, that much more different in terms of action-y stuff. Like John Wick's punching dudes. He's getting punched. He kills dudes. He almost gets killed, you know, whatever. But the tone of it completely changes the context yeah. of that scene. See, so John Wick won because it was like a cool thing. We haven't seen an, an action movie like John Wick for so long. The action in John Wick one was more samey, samey. Yeah. But the whole thing was original. So then you get in the second one. Now they got to mix it up a little bit more. Second one I thought was weaker. It's probably the weakest of the three. But then the third one, they came back and at this point, John Wick is a formula. He's a thing. And there's knife fights and there's horse fights and there's dog fights. Well, and like there's... the scene where they're like, they're both like, they're throwing knives yep. back and like the knife throwing back mm-hmm. and forth scene is amazing. It's oh yeah. such a good, such a good scene. And which is why, I mean, John Wick 3 is extremely good. I love it. We went back and watched it in the yeah, theater we, again. Yeah, you and I did. Yeah, we yeah. had a special screening during COVID uh-huh. <laughs> where we got a big theater just to watch John Wick with like, what was it, like 10 people? Uh, Yeah, like 10 or 15. Oh, we didn't take a break. No, we didn't. Oh, we were well over. We should probably take a break, everyone. <laughs> Look, what you got to understand, everybody, is 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 how much both Larry and I love this topic. Um, there's not a single convention that goes by that we're not both at where we don't end up on a panel talking about this. It's rare I'm not on the action panel. Yeah, or or not just teaching a solo class on it. Yeah. So, okay, look, we've talked about mixing it up. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussions in the third part of our two-part series. So we'll be right back. David Carter is one of the most decorated agents in the interplanetary police forces. But for the last two years, he's become reckless, throwing himself into his work or into the path of a criminal's bolt pistol. Veronique de Tournay is a brilliant profiler and interrogation specialist and prefers working a desk in the Major Cases Bureau. Unfortunately, the director has reassigned her to Special Agent Carter, and neither of them are happy about it. But after they stop a devastating attack on Mars, the two reluctant partners may be the only ones standing in the way of a conspiracy threatening the entire solar system. 
The sci-fi buddy cop action thriller Phoenix by Lori Janeski is available now in paperback and on Kindle Unlimited. Even in space, crime still doesn't pay. And welcome back. Now this is going to be the last part in our uh, in our kind of series on action stuff, probably. I don't know. We'll probably do a part four at some point in time because we can't help ourselves. Not tonight, though. Definitely not tonight. <laughs> um, all right. So we were kind of talking about mixing it up, but Larry, we've we've basically spent three episodes talking about all this stuff. So what I want to do now is is let's talk about. Um, references for people, for our, our listeners, where they can go watch a show or read a book and they can, they can pull these things and say, oh, um, I'm reading this book, I'm reading this book, I'm watching this movie and that I can see what Steve and Larry were talking about. Yeah. And that. One of the ones we mentioned earlier, one of the, one of the skill sets was switching point of view characters yeah. and what is going on with them at the time to keep. I'm a huge fan. Anybody who's read Hard Magic knows I'm a big fan of multi-point of view action sequences. You know, and, uh, but one of my favorite examples for one that you can watch really easy, and I wish I could remember what season it was. You might remember, but remember on The Expanse? Mm-hmm. It was the season where they have Prax is on the crew. Oh. And so there's a scene. They're on the Rosinante, which is a spaceship. For those, It's a great show if you guys haven't watched it. So there's one, there's two scenes going on at the same time. That's two or three. The Rosinante is flying around and it's shooting at other spaceships and it's having a big gun battle in space. And, and it, they have realistic physics, kind of realistic physics. So as the as the ship is turning, it's changing the, the, the forces that the people inside the ship are feeling. So there's two guys, one guy who's a mechanic and one guy who's a scientist. The mechanic doesn't have anything really to do in the fight until something gets damaged. And the scientist is useless in a fight. So these two dudes are strapped in. Okay, so they're strapped into a room. Well, earlier in the scene, when we were talking about setting stuff up yeah. in your action scenes, the scientist had put some tools away incorrectly on a ship with zero G. So as the Rosanante is flipping through all these high-speed maneuvers, the tools fly out of the chest, and they're all like razor-sharp and scary-looking. And as the Rosanante is making all these high-speed maneuvers, the deadly tools start flying back and forth in at super high speeds in this room with these two guys who are strapped in and helpless as like razor sharp things are flying past their spacesuits. And uh, now I thought that was a fantastic example of tension yeah. uh, and, and basically having two entirely different type of action scenes going on at one time. Yeah. No, intermixed that's, together. No, that's a great scene. I'm trying to remember what it, which season that is. Uh... Two or three. It's either, it's two or three. Two is the very military one. Three is the is the one. Well, well, it's whatever season has. I'm that guy. That's two. Okay, because it would have been that season. That's two. Because they're going to from Ganymede. Yes, to... that's two. All right, guys. The point of this: watch Sorry. that great show. Yeah, and and what I like about that show in general and the books, man, the books are awesome. See, because I've actually not read the books. Um. I'm They're a, really good. I'm a slacker. They're really, really good. Um, what I really like about the books and the show is, is again, is that variety. Um, because, okay, look, like season one and book one, um, it's your typical space opera mixed with detective noir, right? That's Thomas Jane's character. Yeah, Miller. Miller. So the first season with, with Miller, um, a lot of those action scenes are 
are very uh, there, there's a lot of noirness to them mixed with on the flip side. I mean, I'm thinking of the, you know, after they get uh, uh, the, the crew gets taken by the, the Martians. And then there's a scene where they're all kind of strapped in and helpless and bullets start flying through. And character, the character from that show, Royal Pains, just bites it. Oh, yeah, it. and just, in, just buys it instantly. Yeah. Um, like that's season one, two radically different things. Season two, okay? A lot of the same, you know, space opera stuff, and I'm that guy. Uh, and Bobby Draper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like straight up military science fiction. If we do an episode on strong female characters. Oh, she's in there. Oh, yeah, for she's in sure. there. For sure. Season three is like... It's almost like, um, um, oh gosh, more like 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 rushing out for for um, to claim land, you know, and that's where the religious yeah, that's, the, that's the, the heavy the, religion, the gold, the gold rush, kind of the gold rushy type type yeah. of thing, right? Season four is just a western. It's totally a western. I mean, it's it's largely placed on a planet. Amos is a gunslinger. The the dude from um, uh, who plays Moriarty or not Moriarty. Yeah, Moriarty. He's the other bad guy. Um, not Moriarty. I know who you're talking about. The British guy. Yeah, the British dude. And then, you know, and then season five is like, is like mass scale terrorism. From, from season to season, from book to book, all of these, all of the, all the action scenes vary dramatically. It, it, and the it, tone is, is dramatically different. So there you go. There's our first recommendation. Um, for me, I always go back to Joe Abercrombie, that first trilogy of books, the first law trilogy, because you see, um, the torturer, Glotka, the torturer, who's mm-hmm. a cripple, can barely walk. Yep. Um, and seeing, seeing his connivingness in, in the mental makeup that he has versus Logan Ninefingers, who he, even in himself is two pieces yeah, he's yeah he's he's kind of a normal dude, more or less, like a, a big strong dude. He's a nice guy, actually. Actually, fairly nice yeah. when he's not a berserker. When he's not like a and when a he turns slaughter in, machine, and when he turns into a berserker, those action scenes are wonderful. Yeah, they're wonderful to read. That's really good. Well, I'm trying to trying to think. Um, you know who writes really good action scenes as far as gunfighting type mm. stuff? Peter Nealon. Oh yeah. Yeah, he does. Um, well, if you guys check any of Peter Nealon's right, stuff. Write what you know. Well, okay, so when you talk about write what you know, <laughs> Peter Nealon is on my short list. Like, if, I have a long list of people never to get in a fight with. Yeah, he's one of those. Yeah, and like Peter's- He's pretty high on that list. Yeah, so Peter's pretty high up on the list of people never to get in a gunfight with. And this guy really knows his crap. Uh, so that's a good example of like, if you guys want to pull some books, it's like see some military, uh, extracurricular, mercenary kind of stuff. Uh, Peter, Peter, Peter really knows this stuff. Like if we ever continue the Dead Six series, because he's actually written a short story for me and Mike in the Dead Six universe. Um, so if we ever continue the Dead Six series, it would be, we'd, we'd bring Peter in. Not that there's any plans to do that because I have like 10 million books in, in the queue. Yeah, no kidding. But, but I definitely recommend him for like quality gun action and that's coming from me. You know, when it comes to more horror leaning stuff, because when you when you add like legit horror into your action scenes, um, it really changes their flavor quite a bit. Um, one of the people I really like is Brian Lumley. Oh yeah, for that. you're a big Brian Lumley. Fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Necroscope. There's now 
for for those of you out there who are who are gun nuts like Larry, um, your some of the gun stuff in there is going to bother you. I mean, I wasn't even a gun dude when I first read those books, and it bothered me. I could tell. British British dudes who write gun stuff. Yeah, it's so awful. But here's the thing with that story, is the the way in which, I mean, there is a little bit of, there is a little bit of that kind of that militaristic sort of stuff, you know, brand, like secret branches of the government and stuff like that. Um, but then it's, it's a character who can and does fight against, you know, basically pieces of Cthulhu that fall to earth that turn people into vampires. Yeah. Right. And talks to the dead to aid him in that. So his technical stuff, he's, he's British, which Not is like great. its own subcategory. Whatever. But the quality of his writing It's really cool. And, and the flavor of these things is really, really different. Yeah. I've got one that a lot of people have seen because it's probably one of the most popular shows in America right now. Yeah. So Stranger Things season four. Oh, it's so good. Uh, which we haven't seen the last couple episodes yet, which I guess they're coming on in a couple of days. Uh, as of recording this, it comes out tomorrow. Okay, cool. So I, I, I binge streamed the first, you know, the first whatever section of season four. I think we season three kind of lost me. I didn't like it very much. It was, was kind of stupid. It was okay, but it, some of the problems. writing was just dumb. Season four is a return to form. And, and it's straight up horror, dude. And there's a couple scenes that are master classes oh in gosh. what we've been talking about the last three episodes about, about action and character. The running up that hill oh, scene. That scene's so good, with guys. Max. It's so good. And go watch it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. That sequence is an absolute masterclass in character and tension and rising stakes. Well, I mean, uh, revealing information. Uncertainty. I mean, and it, and it shifts between her in Hellscape Land, you know, running and like struggling and fighting and yeah. getting away. It's such and down a on the other strong side, moment. Down on the other side, like the utter helplessness. That the other characters feel so freaking good. Yeah, abs- that scene is an absolute masterclass in an action sequence. And and the thing is, there's no like fighting. It's a, no. it's a it's a it's a teenage girl running for her life. Oh, it's so and good. And her friends trying to save her with music. And so that's like that's like not Monster Hunter, you know. <laughs> no, it's but so also good. I believe it's the same episode. Unnamed federal agent hero yep. guy. I-, I figured that was going to be your call. Which. Uh, so I don't want to give any hey, spoilers. you know what? It's about time that they actually like show someone who's competent in that sort of role. Yeah, it's interesting. That dude was freaking awesome. That's the thing, because normally in a role like that, the guy would be a throwaway. So it's yeah. an unnamed federal agent. You never learn the dude's name. He looks like a schlub. He looks, he looks like he, you know, he looks like one of us writers. He's just a schlubby dude. He's just he like this. that Beretta really well, though. Yeah, it's the thing. I'm a Beretta guy. I'm carrying yeah. a Beretta right now. And that was the best Beretta 92 action since Mel Gibson in uh, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> You know, yeah. so there's a scene. All of a sudden, this unnamed dude who's just a babysitter, he's a freaking action hero. And you know what's so cool about that scene? And I, and I and I and I bet you agree with this. It's his absolute calm. Oh yeah. During the scene, but the sheer utter horrific panic on the other on the kids' faces yeah, the at kids the same time. Are just like... Dude, they're they're literally screaming their guts out while he's like. Okay, I need you to follow me right now. You need to get right here. And he's just gunning dudes down. Like, that scene's awesome and so different. And it came out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. 
That's what we talk about mixing it up. This show's had a ton of action scenes, and it's had a tons of you know scenes, kids being chased, kids hitting stuff with a bat, so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, this dude is like 1987 John Wick. Oh yeah. And this dude is like, no, I ain't going down. And he's just like, he's like, like calmly reloading stuff's exploding him around. He's like, all right, do this. And that, as a gun nut, that scene was absolute beauty. Yeah. That was that was like and, one of those Valhalla gun scenes. Oh gosh, so good. Yeah. So there you go. There, uh, one episode of Stranger Things has two master classes in entirely different types of action scenes. Well, and, and much earlier, I mean, it, it basically it's just bullying and carry. If they kill Steve, though, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm screw that. No, I'm you team, can't kill anyone named Steve. I'm Team Steve. You should be. <laughs> You better be. That said, this is okay. So the, we're almost out of time, but I just gonna say real fast. This has been a great year for my teenage son. Who's who's okay? And I want to tell you why this is a great year. He grew out a stupid little mustache. He's a oh, teenager, and it looks horrible. Yeah. Except Top Gun Maverick came out, and he's got the same mustache as Rooster. And my son basically looks like a six foot five version of Steve from Stranger Things. He does have the hair. So he's got the hair, like literally, he's got, and he looks kind of like Steve. And so he actually, my son, this has been the best year for him ever <laughs> as far as meeting girls because <laughs> he looks like two of the most popular dudes on TV right now. Like the combo between the two, only taller and buffer. <laughs> so it's been a good year for my boy. <laughs> That's awesome. He doesn't take after me at all. He looks like his mom. Lucky him. Oh, man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back through a bunch of the stuff that I've seen lately and what really stuck out to me. And earlier in the, it was either the first or the second action uh, episode, we were talking about character makeup and how they approach an action scene differently. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, uh, Reacher. Oh, gosh. New Reacher? I thoroughly enjoyed the show more than I like. I mean, I'm not really a fan of the books. Me neither. I think they're okay. They're fine. They're fine. That's another one of those, we talk about like like British people with guns. But- um, but but think about the, sh- the show. Th- think about great. the think about the coldness and the calculating of of the dude playing Reacher and how he portrayed Reacher. Yeah. Um, uh, the scene I'm specifically thinking of is when he just goes up behind the two uh, drug dudes. Yeah. And just calmly just pops them. Yeah. Just it's there's no chivalry like we're well, gonna like wrestle like, first. Hey, he doesn't like call their attention, so they spin around. No, no, he just shoots them. Yeah, I'm not gonna give you a chance. And then he shoves them in a trunk. And they don't fit. And they do not fit. <laughs> and then later on, he, you know, they open the trunk and the, and the chick is there and she's like, what the crap? Yeah, Roscoe. Roscoe. She's like, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I put them in there. She's like, those are exit wounds in their chest. Those aren't entrance wounds. He's like, yeah. Yeah. You got a problem with that? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. But it- but it's really cool because the way he handles action, like it's, I mean, he's a sociopath. It was great. I thought in the guy played it, he played muscle Sherlock Holmes. And then, yeah, that's actually a great way to describe it. And then Roscoe, her approach during action scenes, very different. She's undersized. Yeah, she's a tiny girl. And then um, Finley, like, his approach during these scenes is also very different. And so, and, and oftentimes, especially at the very end, all three of them are in the same action scene. Yep. 
but they're all doing radically different things with radically different attitudes. One of the things I appreciate about this show, as I'm a big dude. Like, oh, um, yeah, yeah. For, for our listeners, I'm six foot five, 300 pounds. I'm, yeah. I'm a big, and I'm not, a, I'm fat, but I'm not a fat 300 pounds. I'm a big yeah, yeah. guy. So Reacher was one of the only shows I've seen that stars a big dude who legit looks and acts like a big dude. And the actor did a really good job of big dude-ness, not just in the action scenes, but just existing as a big dude. He carried that really well. I mean, and he realized he's like six, two. So I'm like way, I'm like three inches and like 40 pounds, 50 pounds heavier than this dude. But, yeah, same but he was build. so much bigger than everyone else in the show. Well, this thing, Hollywood's a midget colony, yeah, yeah. you know, like Adam Baldwin in real life is real close to my height. And so meeting Adam in, in real life, that's why he towers over everybody else in like everything he's in. Cause he looks like such a giant, he's like six, five, but, uh, yeah, but Reacher was like just great. I and mean, he's just smashing dudes. I, I, I enjoyed that one a lot. It actually had some good action scenes too. It mixed them up. Uh, Cause it had some, it had some clever action bits. I, I like that show. It was, it was yeah. a cool throwback. Oh man. And, and the tone in that show is really cool too, because there was alternately very, very serious and grim and dark, but then they would do some other like writing techniques to like throw a little bit of humor into it to kind of, kind of alleviate some of the, the tension. So it didn't just feel like. Like all doom and gloom all the time. Yeah, you know humor I mean? in an action scene goes along. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's the thing. It breaks. And if anybody, if you've ever dealt with like real life people who do dangerous crap for a living, the darker and more dangerous your job, the more likely it is you have a uh, a sense of humor, mm-hmm. or you're not going to do it for long. Yeah. All right, everybody. So that was our third episode in our two part sequence of uh, of writing action. Look, at some point we'll come back. We'll 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 hit some more stuff as questions come in with specifics. And again, for all of your Rider Dojo supporters out there, um, you know, send in your questions. Um, if you have questions specifically to these last three episodes, what we've been talking about in terms of action, um, hey, yeah, shoot them our way. We'll answer them. That's what we do. Um, but look, thank you for sticking with us throughout all this. Um, we figured there was no better way to start season three than a whole bunch of takes on what, you know, what Larry does best. And that's action. And, uh, I mean, he's, he's literally taught courses on this. He's given classes of this at conventions. We've been on panels at conventions about this. We talk about it all the freaking time. Uh, and we're super enthusiastic about it, as you can tell. Yeah, I could probably go for another hour oh, just easy. talking action stuff. So, look, thank you all. And again... This is the Writer Dojo, and we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Naibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash Dojo by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. I'm Team Steve. You should be. (laughs) You better be.